Welcome to the Mela Campbell podcast. This is our series of discussions and interviews designed to provide coaches with inspiring learning content. I'm Debbie Aurelius, and in this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with respected Mela Campbell faculty member, Anna Phillips. Anna is a mindfulness practitioner, and she helps us to gain a better understanding of mindfulness, its benefits, and its potential. She also kindly shares a wide range of tips and advice for how we can become more mindful and build mindfulness into our coaching practice. I hope you'll enjoy and learn something from this conversation. I'm delighted to be speaking with Anna Phillips today. So Anna, welcome to the podcast. Hi Debbie and thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, Anna has been at the heart of Mela Campbell for 15 years. She's a leadership coach, a resilience practitioner and a mindfulness teacher. And when Anna works with her clients, she aims to help them reach peak performance while achieving a sense of balance in their lives. So Anna, I'm really interested in the topic we're exploring today, which is mindfulness. What exactly is mindfulness? It's a great place to start, Debbie. Um, Mindfulness is the practice of being fully present in any given moment. And it's simply that. It's about being focused wholly on and aware of our experience in the moment in as pure a form as as possible. So it's before our brain gets into interpreting and making judgments about what it is we are experiencing, it's being aware of our experience and noticing it. And, and so, yeah, it sounds deceptively simple. It's a bit like coaching, one of those concepts, easy to grasp, but not necessarily easy to do. Yes. Yeah. And the most frequent definition of mindfulness is, is that of John Kabat-Zinn, and, and perhaps some of our listeners will be aware of, of this. The awareness that arises by paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. And I think that that's worth unpicking a bit on purpose. So when we are being mindful, we know that we're being so we're conscious of it. So it's it's a form of metacognition, really, or, or think about it from a detached observer standpoint. So we are aware of what we are doing when we are mindful. Yeah, so it's a very conscious endeavor. And in the present moment, that's key, really. We're, our brains are wonderful at jumping around all over the place. And we are so orientated either towards the future, you know, what's on the to-do list, what's coming up next, uh, what am I going to say in that meeting, or on the past, you know, what should I have done differently? And so mindfulness is really moves us beyond that rumination to focus and notice what's happening right now. And that third element of that definition is is about being non-judgmental. So, you know, as I said, paying attention to what we're experiencing before we start labelling it as good and bad and having ideas and opinions about it and fabricating some wonderful story in our head about the observable data that we have available. And, And what that does is it gives us an opportunity to see things as they are and therefore we stand more chance of of being able to respond to that rather than simply reacting to it, which perhaps brings us in later to some of the benefits mindfulness can bring. So, so it's often described as a mental workout, mindfulness, you know, sort of a bicep curl for the, for the brain, <laughs> yeah. because what we're doing is we're, we're sort of training ourselves to stay focused, to notice. And if our attention wanders off into that you know, flight of fancy or what's coming next, what's been before, 
to bring it back. And so it's often thought of as a, as a mental skill and a mental workout. Yes, okay, and that makes perfect sense. And, and the, um, the idea of trying to control your mind when it's thinking about all sorts of different things and jumping from one thing to another, I, I, that totally resonates with me. So what would you say are the most common myths or misconceptions that you come across in your mindfulness teaching? Well, I think the most common is, is this notion that we have to somehow empty our minds or still our minds. Uh, And that's really not what mindfulness is about. And I don't think it's well served by some of the images that you see. So whenever you see an article about mindfulness, there's always this lovely picture of somebody normally sitting cross-legged, but looking very serene, normally in a lovely surroundings. Yes. Uh, And that's not the reality. That's not the reality at all. So I think the most common one is is the, the, the concept of having to empty the mind or even to still the mind. And it's not. Mindfulness is simply being present with what is. So um, there is no requirement to empty empty your mind. I mean, just knowing how busy my mind is, I don't think I would would ever attain emptying it. So that's probably the biggest one. I think also people get confused between mindfulness and meditation. And it's not helped that often when these are spoken about and written about, those terms are used interchangeably so really for me mindfulness is the act of being present and it can be done you know anywhere at any time and 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 really it's mindfulness is is an intention it's an approach and a way a, a way of being whereas meditation is a tool that we might use to strengthen our ability to be mindful so it's normally it's a formal practice and it's you know time bound you might listen to your headspace app and do a guided meditation for 10 minutes or something you know it has a real place it does help strengthen our ability to be mindful but we can be mindful anywhere at any time it's the intention to to show up and be fully present with what is so i think that that's also a a common myth that oh it means i've got to i've got to meditate and along with that of course not helped by some of the images that we we see is this notion that i'll have to sit cross-legged and meditate for hours and you know burn incense and and be in a wonderful monastery somewhere and and those things are wonderful to do absolutely wonderful to do delightful but but they're not necessary in order to be mindful right so I think there's some of something there Debbie around you know not not assuming that you've got to have this whole ritual around it in order to be mindful yes I see so it doesn't have to take you out of your context completely um no no absolutely and I think that's a point really well made that the whole idea of being mindful is to be mindful on a daily basis Mm. and not just when you carve out that 10 minutes to sit and meditate right well you mentioned um the mind space app earlier and I see there are quite a lot of apps available now that will help you with mindfulness and quite a lot of books lots of authors interested in the topic does that mean it's just a fad or do you think it's something that's here to stay yeah I I definitely think it's here to stay I worry a bit that it does seem to be flavor of of the month and so you know inevitably when these things happen you get a lot of things labelled as mindful or mindfulness it seems if you tack the word mindful onto your your program it'll you know it'll grab attention and and sell there has been some criticism um sort of you know the muck mindfulness 
approach. And I can, I, and I can utterly, you know, I, I can totally un- understand that. But I do think it's here to stay because it works. In the same way, I think, when coaching first transitioned out of the, the sporting world and the sports, you know, the high-performing um, athletes and sports context, you know, it then crossed into the corporate world initially perhaps amongst you know, see the chief execs of FTSE 100 and there was questions then asked about well, how far will this go and is it just you know flavor of the month in the same way I think we're at that stage with with mindfulness but it is so widely used in business now and in government and in schools mm. so you know if you look at some of the organizations that are using it as I said government institutions military financial services it's widespread yeah. you know and household names google apple ikea ford procter gamble mm. bt in the uk etna the big insurance group they've all are, are using mindfulness because it works <laughs> because it seems to have a range of benefits and of course in the health context because uh, you know, my, mindfulness was perhaps first used in a well-being context and it's fundamental to many of the ancient Eastern traditions. So it's not a modern thing, but in terms of how it's being used currently, of course, it's being used in a medical context for the treatment of depression, and it's proven to be very effective in that area. And so so the National Health Service now offer uh, courses in mindfulness to help treat depression, clinical depression. So it has a number of uses. And so I don't think it's a fad and just as coaching as we've spoken about moved into the mainstream and, and now you know it's not just the preserve of the most senior leaders in an organization all leaders are encouraged to have a coaching approach to their their leadership style in order to engage others in peer coaching and so it's become very widespread and I think mindfulness will go the same way because it has a number of benefits that are far-reaching and helpful at an individual level and an organizational and I would argue a societal level. Yeah that's that's really interesting thank you. You just told us about quite a lot of ways in which mindfulness is being used currently so in what ways is it effective? There's a growing body of evidence for for this uh, Debbie that um, mindfulness can be positive in a number of a number of ways. There's a lot of research been done of variable quality I think it's fair to say. Part of the the challenge is the um, distinction between mindfulness and meditation, and some of the research has been perhaps quite narrow in its context and not necessarily real world. But putting all you know, having having said all of that, <laughs> the growing body of evidence that it has a number of positive benefits in in sort of three core areas really. One one is our physical and mental well being. So you know evidence for stress reduction, better sleep, just an individual sense of well-being and and satisfaction, impact on uh, mood, um, impact on on our immune function. So so there is a considerable body of evidence that mindfulness has physical and mental health benefits for us. And, And there's also evidence of its ability to help us strengthen some of our cognitive capabilities the ability to focus, for example, improved working memory, um, certain forms of meditation practice uh, help us with our divergent thinking. So there's some interesting research coming out of the, the Netherlands about the use of particular forms of meditation 
to enhance divergent thinking and creativity. Wow. So that so that has potentially a very useful uh, application mm. uh, in the workplace. And then there's um, a body of evidence for the usefulness of mindfulness or the ability of mindfulness to help develop some of the pro-social behaviours. So um, empathy, compassion, self-compassion. And again, you know, they are important in the workplace context, but also, you know, societally, <laughs> those yeah. are... Yeah. useful traits to have yeah that's fascinating and considering the exploration of the benefits of mindfulness in terms of creativity um that sort of thing are there any other trends that seem to be emerging either through research or through practice yes so there's some quite exciting emerging research so a, a lot more research has to be done yet but there's a suggestion that, that mindfulness may also have an impact on our brain health and in particularly on the aging process uh, so there's been some early indications of less degeneration in neural tissue and, and cellular processes in people who uh, are seasoned mindfulness practitioners. So you know, g- given if you put even if even if you put aside the sort of Western uh, unhealthy <laughs> obsession with youthfulness, but look at, at how we can age well in the context of some of the degenerative aging diseases, that then um, that's quite exciting, I think. There's some interesting observations being made about the type and duration of mindful practice and meditative practice um, and the impact they have. As you might expect, if you're going to focus on a particular object, so so often people come to mindfulness and, and formal mindfulness practice through meditation by focusing on their breathing, on the, on the breath is quite a common practice or on on sounds then then that that focus will strengthen your ability to focus and pay attention and the the meta style of meditation which is um, often called loving kindness where you attempt to experience and embody a sense of kindliness towards yourself and to others will have you know an impact on on your ability to show compassion and, and empathy. So there's no, mm. no surprise that, that what you do perhaps will impact. But, but what is emerging from, um, from neuroscience is, is what's happening in the brain and you know, what parts of the brain are lighting up as a result of, um, of those practices. So, so you know, th- there is something about the type. And, and again, it, interesting that, that uh, some of those things like the, the meta, um, it's been very early research looking at its impact on implicit bias you know so that has all kinds of implications for interviewing and selection and and you know reproducing some of those things that are existing in the workplace so so early days but but some really fascinating research there and there's also some research looking at the duration and whether that matters so you know how long do I need to that's often a question that's asked how long do I need to practice in order to see benefit and and the answer is very very little to see benefit in the moment so if you want to drop into a state of mindfulness you don't have to do much for long in order to for that to uh, have an impact but if you want to sort of reset the baseline and you're we're, we're talking the difference here between state and trait then obviously that's going to take a lot longer uh, and we also know that uh, retreat practice seems to have greater benefit in some areas, particularly some physical things um, 
you know, respiration rate and so on than doing some soul practice. I, I, no one knows why yet. You know, there's something about the setting, perhaps. Okay. The collective endeavour, because that's often done you know, in a group and, and with guidance from a teacher and often in silence and so on. So, so you know, that's, that's work that I know Richie Davidson's in, involved in. There's lots more to explore. It's a, it's a classic case of the more we know, the more we realise there is still lots yet to, to know. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting that you mentioned the duration of your mindfulness practice and the fact that there's a difference between trying to alter your state or trying to alter a trait. I think that's a really handy phrase to remember, actually. Do you have any guidance about what that relative difference in duration would be? That's a yeah, really interesting question. I think we're at early de- early stages of of research, so uh, I don't think there's a definitive answer. But, but the studies have shown that even a five minute intervention then has impact on negotiation performance. Uh, there was a, a one study where a fifteen minute practice seemed to impact quality of decision making. Now that would have been in the moment, and that that state uh, will have been helpful for what was coming next, but won't necessarily endure. Right. (laughs) There has been some evidence that in as little as three hours of of practice, and I don't mean continual practice, but three hours of practice, you'll start to see changes in the brain, structural changes from around 11 hours. uh, And it's often cited that, you know, sort of a half hour a day for eight eight weeks, you will start to see structural change in the in the brain now I, I again how enduring those are you know, we, we strengthen our neural pathways by continual repetitive practice and so little and often is going to make a difference I think if, if I use a sporting analogy there's a difference between me donning a pair of trainers and jogging around the block and a world-class athlete um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we would devote different amounts of time to those things mm-hmm. so when people look at the brains of some of the monks who are perhaps in meditative practice and mindful practice for uh, you know, a large chunk of their day, day in and day out, I mean, it's their day job, if you like, yeah. then you will see a significant difference than in you know, those of us who attempt to be mindful in the daily round, but you know, are not in that rarefied atmosphere perhaps where, yes. where where that is all that they are doing uh, and so you know I think you have to be realistic about the length of time it takes to change what I would say from personal experiences is, is that over the course of a couple of years I think I noted and others noted and commented on a, a change that I would think to be more trait based than just in the moment Often people will say to me, I'd like to come and work with you because you have a very calm presence. And that wasn't necessarily my set point, I would say, a few years ago. Right. So I I think, you know, a couple of years in, I can say that I start to see a baseline difference. That's interesting. But, you know, that's not to say that I'm a big fan of the, the micro goal and the, and the small win. I, I think just by going into a meeting with an intention to be really focused on it and setting yourself up for success by you know, turning the phone off and giving somebody your full attention and just maybe 
pausing for a moment or two to take take out of your mind anything that you might have been thinking about before and to draw your attention to the meeting and the person that you're sitting with. Those things have real value and enhance the quality of the, the rapport and your attention in the moment. Uh, and so, you know, lots of little moments make a big difference <laughs> to our ability to be mindful. So I'm not at all dismissive of state mindfulness because I think that's the daily reality for most of us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's just such wonderful advice, actually, just to embark on things more mindfully on a day by day basis. Yeah. And there's some other trends emerging, I think, um, at an individual level, how, how people are approaching mindfulness uh, and making use of, of mindfulness. Uh, so one is um, the emergence of kindfulness. And this is the, the synergy amalgamation of mindfulness and self-compassion. Uh, and so you'll start to see that more and more people are offering programs in, in kindfulness. Uh, and it's the recognition, I think, that we're often our own harshest critic and the um, potentially destructive nature of the inner voice can lead us to to that cycle of unhelpful and potentially unhealthy rumination. And so being aware of that and really actively and proactively working to be kind in the way that we approach ourselves and treat ourselves and indeed then extending that to others. So there is a an emerging trend, I think, of kindfulness. I think we'll see a lot more of that in the in the coming few years. Uh, and then I think because you know we're a generation that are used to being able to customize everything. <laughs> and so I think you'll see increased customization as well. As the evidence emerges, I was saying about you know, different different types of practice can help with different things. I think we'll see um, greater customization as well. So people will want to pick and choose and just be aware of, of the things that they can do, you know, to put the range of tools in the toolbox that will enable them to work on whatever it is they want to work on. So whether that's greater focus and attention or whether that's greater self-awareness, whether that whether that's um, to reduce stress. I think as the evidence emerges for what tools are the most helpful for that, we'll see greater customization and perhaps a move away from the assumption, although I, I do think it's a false assumption now that that you know the the five ten minutes focusing on your breath is the necessarily the best or most effective practice for everyone. Yeah. Okay. I see. I I really love the concept of kindfulness. Actually, I think that's a very interesting idea. Yeah. It, it's um, it's certainly beginning to take hold. I'm seeing it around more and more and I think it's vital you know there's often a misconception that if we are kinder to ourselves we'll somehow be complacent or lose our edge and and, you know that's just really not not true at all Uh, it makes us more effective when we are when we are not kind to ourselves when we are hypercritical then we're not at our most resourceful and so if we want to be able to think creatively build um, useful collaborative relationships, be able to problem solve, find a sense of self-efficacy, find new ways forward when we're dealing with change and ambiguity, then we need to be in a really resourceful 
state. And so it actually enables us to be uh, better prepared for those things. So it's, it's not about complacency at all. It's really setting yourself up for success. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great way to look at it. You mentioned earlier that mindfulness practice research is revealing that it can have a positive impact on biases, which is something I know there's a lot of focus on in the workplace. How else is mindfulness being used in the workplace now? There's three ways in which I see mindfulness brought into and introduced in the in the um, in the workplace so the first is obviously uh, as part of the well-being agenda the well-being initiatives an offering because employers want to provide that you know so whether that's around helping with stress management and just a general sense of improved well-being uh, improved sleep mood and so on so so it's certainly coming in as as a as, as a, one of the tools to to offer around well-being and there's something also uh, another use is around this ability to strengthen your attention so you know in in this world of distraction uh, you know our constant bombardment with information calls for our attention from all of the devices that we that we have that ability to build and maintain attention uh so i so i see that as as um another way in, in which mindfulness is being introduced as a, as a mechanism or as a tool to help in the workplace. And I think the third is around uh, leadership, a mindful approach to leadership. Uh, so there's something around self-awareness and you know, the development of some of those behaviours, that, you know, that empathy, it's been linked to so Google famously, it was linked with, um, with EQ. There's something around the enhancing quality of relationships and the ability to get the best from yourself and from others. So, so I think those are the three areas where mindfulness to date has been brought into the into the workplace. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And sort of improved EQ, improved um, awareness of others, you know, improved focus, all of those sound like hugely beneficial outcomes. Exactly. And I, I think there are you know, a number of ways that from an individual perspective, mindfulness can help us at work so one is that that depth of attention if you like that ability to focus you know and given that time is our most precious resource the ability to use that really efficiently and to be able to buffer yourself against the the constant distractions ought to have a a positive impact on performance and, and, and productivity yeah and I think also there's in addition to that sort of depth there's also something around breadth of attention because when we're being mindful we are tuning into all that is present for us in that moment so what's going on around us within us uh between us if it's you, know, you and I talking and so we're accessing a wider range of information really to help inform decisions so i think there's something about depth and, and breadth there um i mentioned earlier emotional reactivity you know when we're up against it it's very easy to default to proven ways of thinking and behaving that may not necessarily serve us well and and so the fact that that you just press pause for a moment and 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 focus before responding it does give you that little bit of space with with practice so that rather than just 
default to that habitual response, you might give yourself a bit of time and space and respond slightly differently. And so that that potentially can lead to sort of reduced emotional reactivity. Uh, And so, you know, in terms of fostering a positive climate and culture for everyone to thrive, I think that that has real benefits. And I think this, you know, quality of communication and relationship, you know, as coaches, we see that quality of rapport that comes from us being totally present with our clients and their for them and interested in them and giving them space to think and to be heard and so there's there's a quality of communication and relationship and an enhanced understanding and appreciation you know that can lead to greater collaboration and of course the well-being we've we've talked talked about you know if yes. if we are less stressed, more balanced, happier, more satisfied, uh, it, it just you know from I suppose from a corporate perspective, in terms of engagement and and um, and productivity, that's that, that's got to be a good thing. But just from an individual perspective, in in terms of navigating your your life from a positive place where you're thriving, you know that's a that's a, a positive outcome. And I think there's something here too. Um, around learning so if we're being mindful we are we are less likely to as you know to to, to, to fall into those habitual thinking patterns and, and that can help us find new ways of being and behaving and solving problems and I think it also if we're if we are deploying a wider range of attention we might spot things that we wouldn't have done otherwise so, so I think in, in terms of agility and change readiness I think uh, mindfulness can contribute and, and as I'm saying all this Debbie I'm, I'm aware that you know I might be painting this wonderfully rosy picture and I don't think and I think it's important to, to know I don't think you know mindfulness is the panacea for all in the same way as coaching isn't it but it has its place and because it it has the potential to positively impact such a wide range of issues I, I think it's it is a foundational skill uh, and I think it will become so in the in the years to come yeah that's a fascinating way to look at it actually because you're right if it has an impact on so many different skills that we know workplaces are trying very hard to amplify and improve then yeah I can see that it you know it could become foundational yeah I I think it will become as important from a well-being perspective I think it will become as important as things like diet and movement and sleep Mm. Um, and I think in the workplace it it, it will become a foundational skill in in the way that over the last few years things like EQ have become you know the interpersonal skills have become essential to 21st century leadership yeah absolutely so given that mindfulness is becoming such a foundational skill how can we become more mindful? It's a great question. I, th- I think before we get into um, the how to cultivate mindfulness, there are two or three qualities that I think we can cultivate uh, within ourselves that help us to become more mindful and to develop greater presence. So the first is cultivating a sense of acceptance so accepting what is present in any given moment without trying to change it at all. You know, we, we tend to push away 
things that we well, first first I suppose we tend to label things, don't we, as good or bad, pleasant, unpleasant, and we tend to want to push it away, yeah, or hold on to it if it's something very pleasant. And, and cultivating mindfulness, just being fully present with what is there, non-judgmentally, means accepting accepting what is there, and and so it, cultivating that quality, it's not the same as resignation. It really, to you, some people worry that, well, yeah, why would I want to accept something that's un- unpleasant? No, absolutely not. But in that moment, accepting, think of it as, as sort of acknowledging what's there, <laughs> acknowledging what's present. So looking for opportunities to cultivate that, catching yourself wanting to hold on to something or even push something away, but just to, to, to and, and just pausing long enough to accept, accept, you know, this is how it is at the minute. You know, my day is going badly. It's, you know, I'm feeling lousy. But you know what? They just accept that is, what, that is what it is. Because from that point of acceptance, we can then find a positive way forward. But we need to acknowledge what's there first. So, so there's something about acceptance, I think. And the other is, is curiosity, really bringing a sense of curiosity. Often in mindfulness, we talk about the beginner's mind. Um, it's like a child. Uh, developing that wonderful sense of wonder they have at the world around them you know they do it very naturally so bring a sense of curiosity to our experience what am I noticing how fascinating and seeing things afresh because again that gets us out of that sort of autopilot automatic reactions knowing what we're you know knowing uh, or believing we know what's going to happen next or what to do here and just stepping back from that and experiencing it as it is and therefore being open to the fact when we're curious we're open to the fact that things could be different mm. and I think that's a really important quality that helps us to be mindful and, and I think we've talked about the kindfulness because that that third one that compassion you know our tendency to judge ourselves in that critical light yes. and so adopting that kindly curiosity towards ourselves so those qualities, I think, and looking to actively cultivate those create some of the conditions for us to be mindful. So in terms of being mindful and developing mindfulness, it's really setting the intention, you know, the intention for this conversation or in this meeting or for the day, for the next half hour. My intention is to focus fully on whatever it is I'm doing, piece of work I'm working on, the conversation, the meeting, and to notice when our attention has wandered and to just gently, without you know, chastising ourselves, just gently bring it back to the intended focus. Mm-hmm. And it's that act. You know, it's not about being fully focused all of the time because the nature of our mind is to wander. So the act of mindfulness is noticing when it's gone. That, that's it. You're being mindful in that moment and bringing it back. And that's when you are developing and flexing that attention muscle. So it isn't about, you know, you haven't failed if you, you can't maintain your attention for more than a nanosecond. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. The key is you've noticed it's gone and you've brought it back. And so it's setting that intention. It's as simple as that. Setting the intention to be really mindful and present in any given situation. Notice when you've lost that presence and bring it back. Of course, people can strengthen this and take it up a gear by looking to have some formal mindfulness meditation practice. And there are 
a number of apps out there that help with this. There are online courses, there are books people can read, there are guided meditations available online, and indeed courses, you know, there are numerous four, six, eight-week courses that people can go on to develop mindfulness skill. I would encourage people to explore those too if they have time and inclination. But on a daily basis, just set the intention to be fully present and keep that at front of mind and notice when when your mind has gone bring it back yeah that sounds really powerful and I think it's easy to feel that that's yeah absolutely straightforward and I can do that but I I know from experience and I think a lot of other people may experience this too when you get into your workplace routine it can be really really hectic um, and you yes. feel really overwhelmed with this the pace of work so do you have any advice for being able to to pause that and get into a more mindful state when you know things seem really hectic yeah I think it's a really valid point Debbie that you know it, it, it all sounds very simple in practice I think I started by saying it's simple but not necessarily easy easy to do and in the, the sort of busyness of the daily round to um, remember these things. And it's like anything, to form a habit, it's the little and often. And and as I said earlier, I'm a real fan of the micro goal. You know, Mm -hmm. so maybe just start with something that is easy to slot into the day. So, you know, as you're cleaning your teeth, take one mindful breath, you know, something as simple as that. It's a start point, you know, start somewhere and it it helps. And I, but I also think the more we practice moments of mindfulness, the easier it becomes to drop into a mindful state when we really need it, you know, at some of those most hectic times you were referring to. So I think two two conditions underpin our ability to be present, even in the busiest of days. One is space, creating space for ourselves. When we when we are so busy, we're not, we don't pause and we're running on autopilot. Mm. So anything we can do to create a little bit of space and a sense of ease because when we are very hectic you know I can almost feel as I'm talking about the busyness of that day the sort of you know you start to breathe more rapidly and more shallow feeling tensed muscles and it's not conducive so we want a bit of ease as well so that we breathe easy (laughs) and we're not running from a fight or flight adrenaline fueled place but we are at ease as much as possible so looking for small little you know little opportunities to create space and ease in the day enable us to drop into mindfulness more readily I think so if I give give some examples of of that perhaps that will will help looking to create small pockets of breathing space literal and metaphorical breathing Mm. space in the schedule you know are we running from meeting back to back can we put just five minutes in between ideally more, but just to give ourselves a bit of space. You know, so I, I spoke about setting a conscious intention of how I want to show up in a meeting or on a, a phone call. You know, put a post-it note on, the, on your laptop or put a reminder in the phone, anything that helps just to trigger that, that thought. Taking the opportunity to shift gears at some point during the day, to do something more slowly on a hectic day. So whether that's walking to a meeting or to grab a coffee, whether it's we consciously choose to slow down as we eat our lunch uh, or drink, you know, savour that coffee, even if it's just the first three sips in a more mindful way. It's just pausing a little bit, changing gear 
we all have these devices today, love them or hate them. They're a fact of life. So use it, you know, use the phone as a trigger for a mindful pause. Yes. You know? So when the phone rings or there's an alert, choose to just pause before you reach for it. Give yourself a few seconds, maybe take a breath, stretch or something, then reach for the phone. So those things are all opportunities just to create space, ease, and reset the intention to be mindful. Monotask wherever possible. We can serve ourselves so much better by eliminating distractions and creating the right environment for focus. That will help us to be much more mindful. Unplugging. You know, unplug temporarily. Leave the phone behind for 10 minutes. You know, walk around the block at lunchtime. And as you do that, engage the senses. You know, what do I see today? What can I smell? What do I hear? What can I feel? What can I taste? Just you know, to, to put ourselves in a different space and also to cultivate that attention to all of the observable data, to be really present with what is. There's a, a lovely strategy. I think it's Adam Fraser's from the, the third space, the reflect, rest, reset strategy to pause and create space on busy days. So you know, the, the idea is you would take a minute for each. So you spend the first minute perhaps reflecting on what's just been, if you've come out of a busy call or meeting and make a, any, any notes, mental or otherwise, on what you might need to do. And then the second minute you rest, stop thinking about it, it's done. And just take a minute to breathe, I don't know, look out of the window, walk, stretch, anything, just rest. And then reset. So then the third minute, you bring yourself, focus attention on what you're going to do next and how you want to show up for that. And so that's quite a nice, you know, reflect, rest, reset. The key is to make sure you rest <laughs> in the middle. And it's a great strategy to help pause. And in a similar vein, taking one, two, maybe three mindful breaths before or after each task. And by a mindful breath, I just mean, you know, pay full attention to your breathing. Notice it. Can you follow that in-breath all the way? Where does it get to? Where, where is it going? Mm. How does it feel? Where do you notice it in your body? And if you breathe out slightly more slowly than in, it helps to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the relaxation response. Do a quick body scan while you're sitting at your desk, you know, maybe at the start of the day, the midpoint, the end of the day, after a particularly session. I, I mean, it, just, it doesn't have to be long. So you can just, just sit and notice, just scan through your body from head to feet. You know, what, what, are, what am I sensing right now? Are there any points of tension? Is there anything I can do to create more space and ease in my body? Many of us spend hours hunched over a computer screen. So you know, how, how can I bring some ease that way? Mm. And using daily activities as an opportunity to be practicing that notion of presence. So, you know, when you're cleaning your teeth, focus on the sounds of cleaning your teeth, the sensations of cleaning your teeth, the, the taste, the act of doing it. Driving, you know, how many of us scarily drive on autopilot? Mm. You know, that first mug of coffee of the, of, of the day. They're all opportunities to flex that attention muscle and to be really mindful. So maybe pick one of them and uh, really choose to focus solely on that and not be thinking about other things whilst you're doing it and I think also make time where you can it's perhaps less relevant to the to the very busy days but but make time for an activity or a hobby that you enjoy yet requires complete focus so I, I do a bit of of knitting 
And I'm not a very competent knitter, but I go for the complex Norwegian cable patterns and and things that that just I have to be totally focused on because it it would end up a complete nut and mess if I didn't. So I'm absorbed in it. I enjoy it. I like the output, um, but there is no room or space to think about anything else. (laughs) It's a great way of practicing mindfulness. Anna, that's excellent. You've given us so many different ways and examples of you know how we can build mindfulness into our day-to-day that's so helpful thank you so as a coach how can I build all of that awareness into my coaching practice when we apply this to our coaching we can think about the sort of before we meet when we're with the client and then transitioning after and I think we can look at that for ourselves and we can also think about it in terms of helping our client be present. So so if we think as ourselves as coach, first of all, you know, where where can we create space and ease in our coaching? So as we prepare ourselves to meet with our client, how can we best role model presence? Mm. How do we want to show up for the client? I make a point of if I'm sitting uh, in a reception somewhere waiting, not to be on my phone, not to be scrolling through email when a client arrives i use that time to do a quick body scan take a few breaths call to mind the client think about how i want to show up for them today and then as they start to to come towards me to notice and just get that initial sense of how they are today Mm. and so i think there's things we can do to prepare ourselves we also have busy lives and, and you know all coaches will look at creating enough space and time between appointments so that they're not rushing from one to the other. But, you know, inevitably there are some days when the vagaries of the transport system or what have you, things don't go quite to plan. So it's just making sure that we have centred ourselves and we've given ourselves breathing space before we meet a client. Mm. And so then I think there's the meeting itself and, of course, being fully present our intention to notice as much as possible. But this is how I think we can really help the client to transition into their meeting with us as well. We're one one element of a very busy day for them. And so how can we, it's thinking about knowing your client, what will help them to settle into the meeting? And maybe asking them that question. Do they need a few minutes just to make some notes and, and clear from their mind what they were focused on before do they need a a minute or two to think about what would be of greatest benefit for them today before we even ask the the questions of so okay you know what's the topic and the goal for today do they want just a couple of minutes of silence first would it be helpful to do some breathing together and bring ourselves into the room you know take a couple of breaths feel the feet on the floor just to bring ourselves into the room and so you know i've used all of those techniques with with people And also, I think we can encourage our clients to think more broadly. So, you know, we we tend to focus so much on our mental activity, on our thoughts. You know, we are we we prize that that mental capacity above all else. And we forget that there's an awful lot of wisdom that resides in the body. We treat the two as very separate and we downplay the one to the detriment of the other where where and we make that false distinction. We are one being. Uh, and so, you know, getting clients to think about not only their thinking on the topic, but what are they feeling and what are they sensing and what are they experiencing? And maybe use something like that 
reflect and rest and reset strategy, either at the start or the end or both of the meeting. So I think there's things we can do that are very pertinent to the coaching relationship. And then thinking about how we might transition out and onwards ourselves at the end of the session. You know, what do we need to do at the end just to pause and reflect on how that that session went and then to rest ourselves and reset. So I think we can role model those behaviours. I think that that's excellent advice and I really like the idea of role modelling. I think role modelling is really important and not not just you know as, as coaches but in our lives you know as, as parents as leaders I think it's such an important and powerful offering we underestimate sometimes the the power of our own presence and so looking for opportunities to role model and, and practice that mindful attention and yeah most coaches are, are, are are very used to that concept in in the coaching session anyway because we do we, we attempt to listen with our full attention and listen beyond the words that are said we might pay less attention to how we are before we get into the the actual nitty-gritty of the session and, and so I'd encourage people to think about how can I expand that out to the moments before I meet my client when I first greet them how we transition into the room and how we transition out as also opportunities to maintain that degree of mindful attention. That's great advice. Thank you. So if we'd like to learn more about mindfulness, Anna, what resources would you recommend? There's so much out there, Debbie. There's uh, you know, a range of programmes and apps and books, uh, TED Talks. So how about I put a few thoughts down in, in um, and send you for the show notes uh, as a start point for people. But I would, I would recommend you go out and explore and see what's out there and what resonates. But I'll certainly put a few things together for you to take further. That would be brilliant. Thank you. And I'll make sure that we list your recommendations in the show notes so people can follow those up. So thank you, Anna. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, it's been absolutely fascinating. I've really enjoyed listening to you. And, and thank you so much for sharing that insight with us. You're very welcome. Thank you so much again Anna there was so much helpful advice in that episode I really hope that you found something you can take away and build into your working life or your daily life if you'd like to find out more about Anna and the resources she mentioned during the podcast you can find them in our show notes which you can get from the Mailer Campbell website so just look up mailercampbell.com thank you very much for listening Please feel welcome to share this podcast episode with a friend or a colleague or with anyone who you feel would benefit from listening to it too.